Today's scripture reading is from Philippians 1, verses 3 through 11. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is God's word. Amen. Amen. Good morning. How y'all doing? Good. I'm glad to be here with you continuing in our series called to live is Christ. Somebody say to live is Christ. That's right. That's right. And what I want to do to get us going today Imagine that right now you get a text message or a phone call from somebody in your life that is a major player, major stakeholder. Maybe it's a parent or a coach or an old mentor, a grandparent, somebody that, that your time with them is like sacred. You know what I mean? Maybe it's somebody you listen to. You don't really have a relationship with them, but if that phone call came in and they said, hey, I'm coming coming to Norfolk. Here's the thing. It's 3 a.m. tomorrow, and I got an hour and a half, and not one part of you is like, uh, I don't know. You're just like, I'll be there, you know, and you're there. The reason I bring that image to your mind is because in today's passage, what we're going to take a look at together is that the Apostle Paul, before he gets going into what he's heard about this church at Philippi, and some, some breakdowns for them, some this is what y'all need to do, some real direct stuff. He just kind of sits down with them over a cup of coffee and gives them some vision. Some this is where we came from together. This is our history. Thank God for you. And then he says, and this is why I've been praying for you. And you can almost imagine sitting at that cup of coffee, whether you stayed up all night or got up early, right, 3 a.m., you just leaning in and walking away from that time with that person. When they say they've been praying for you, it's like you leave so encouraged. So, so loved, so, so anchored, so, but also challenged, right? Because when they begin to tell you what they're praying for you, you're like asking yourself subconsciously, am I becoming who they're telling me I am, right? Am I becoming this parent that they say I am or this person or what they see in my life and I see this for you at the end and this is who you're becoming? You would leave with some to-dos and they ain't even tell you nothing to do. Are you tracking with me? You would just have as you're listening, as you're processing, you would feel so secure, so loved, and so challenged. I believe God has in store for us through what Paul wrote to this church. I believe this is the same type of prayer he would pray over our church, and through the Spirit, by God's Word, that is what we have here today. We have an opportunity to see what God wants for us, what He sees in us, what we can become collectively and as individuals. And I believe we can walk out of here becoming what God wants us to become. So to get there, we're going to take a look at an anchor he's giving us and an aim he's giving us, all right? So let's start with the anchor. We're going to read verses three through eight one more time. 
The Bible says this, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So, there's a couple of words that stand out in here, okay? And I want you to circle them with me. In verse 5, it says this phrase, partnership in the gospel. Underline that, okay? And then in verse 7, it says, partakers with me of grace. So quite literally what Paul's saying is, I'm thankful that you guys are my partners in the gospel, church at Philippi. So we got to ask the question, what does he mean by that, okay? Well, what you got to understand with Paul when he planted churches, when he started churches, he would leave the area physically, right? And a lot of times what would happen is other uh, teachers of God's word would come in, and a lot of times their message was just a little bit diluted or compromised. They would slip in some false teaching. We see this more clearly in other letters. But what would happen to that church is they would either move towards Paul relationally and then away from him. So what would happen is, is Paul is out there getting beaten. He's stoned. He's laughed at. He's kicked out of cities. And so if the church was becoming ashamed of Paul and his message and beginning to question, do we want to rock with a preacher who don't make no money? Do we want to rock with a preacher who gets beat down and run out of cities? And so what they would do is they would distance themselves from him. And in the name of theology, in the name of the message, they would, they would distance themselves from him. So when the, you see this most clearly in the church at Corinth, but when Paul sees a church who from the first day says, we got your back with money and we got your back in partnership, we got you. He's going to talk more directly about the financial gifts in chapter 4. We'll talk about that at the end of the series. But make no mistakes, Paul, Paul is like, man, y'all got my back, y'all had my back. And this partnership is kind of an ongoing thing. That's a present tense. You are my partners in the gospel. But not only that, he says in verse 7, after saying, I know God's going to keep y'all to the end, he goes, it's right for me to feel this way. Because y'all are currently, like present tense, partakers with me of grace. Somebody say partaker. When you partake, it's like you're enjoying it with them. It's like, get you some of this. You ever, uh, I remember the first time you go out to eat, and it's like you're sharing nachos. It's, it's interesting to share nachos with people who ain't your family. But you're like, get you some, man. Hey, get the, uh, get, the, get the cheese right there. And you start telling people what to put on their chip. You ever done that? Get you some of this grace. Uh, but that's kind of what Paul's communicating is we're in this thing together. The same God I'm enjoying, you're enjoying. Y'all think about what we're calling this series. In two weeks, Pastor John will really break down what to live as Christ means. But just think about the tense of that. To live is Christ. It's present. It's in the moment. It's enjoyment. I think the language Paul's using here is he's saying we both enjoy the same God right now and always together. Life with God is one of active participation and enjoyment. It's always in the present tense, active and enjoying. It's kind of the difference between, ooh, like yes, and ugh. You know, like ugh is I got to, ooh is look what I get to do. And part of what encourages Paul is every time he sees the Philippians given opportunities to partner with God and partner with him, they're going, ooh, this is an opportunity. 
to partner and partake in grace. And I would just ask you that here today. Is walking with God more, ooh, or is it more, ugh, you know? I think part of what Paul is doing at this coffee session with the Philippian church is just saying, I'm ju- it just brings refreshment to my soul that being in God's presence for you is refreshing to you. And what refreshes you refreshes me. And I would just, I would just challenge you a little bit if it's constant ugh, right? And let's be honest, those of us who, who love the Lord, there are days where your body, your flesh, your bones don't feel ooh. You know, they feel ugh. But if it's always ugh all the time, God's stuff is just ugh. This is what I got to do. If it's constant dread, I would just challenge you, has God actually started a work in you, as verse 6 says? Let's read verse 6 one more time. He says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This verse is huge right here, y'all. I would just circle the six. Okay, circle that. You need to memorize that if you haven't already. Let's start with the end of the verse, which says the day of Jesus Christ. Somebody say the day. In the Old Testament, you saw this, this phrase, the day of the Lord. Okay, and so in the New Testament, starting in John chapter five, the day of the Lord becomes the day of Christ, the day of Jesus. It's his day now. So if you've been reading your whole Bible, you're like, day of the Lord just became day of Christ. Those are, those are one and the same. The day of the Son of Man. He will have his day. And that's different than uh, your day where you die. I want you to imagine a day, the day where Christ comes and he will judge the earth, the living and the dead. We know that when we die, if we're in Christ, we'll depart and be with the Lord. But that's not the day. That is a day, right? Like when you die, something's going to happen and it's better. That's what Paul tells us if you're in Christ. But there is the day is coming. And on that day, what Paul is saying to them is he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at that day. So what that, that is so encouraging. It's an anchor. Somebody say anchor. anchor. Y'all know if you, you ever thought about an anchor. An anchor locks things in. I was looking up pictures this week and how it actually like gets up in the the logic is it's in the ground and the ground ain't moving you know like that that's the logic okay it's anchored and I want you to imagine you take a young three four year old to the beach and they're playing with the football maybe it gets taken out to sea a little bit you know the the tide just takes it and daddy's just like son I ain't getting it okay I'm not getting it you know riptide warnings or whatever you say to to convince them and they ask you on the way home daddy will that ball be there tomorrow when we come back you would say no why? Because the ball is not anchored. It's either going to be on the, on the coast somewhere or it's going to be gone, like way gone. The point is the elements of the sea, the wind, the whatever is going to have its way with that thing because it is not anchored. But what about that orange buoy out there, Daddy? Why is it staying? Well, that thing is anchored to the ground, like the ocean ground, ocean floor. It ain't moving. Now, the top might look like it's moving a little bit, but on the bottom, it ain't going nowhere. So what Paul is communicating to them is, you ain't going nowhere. And not only are you not moving in Christ, actually what's guaranteed is that you will keep moving all the way until you become who you'll be at the day. So it's kind of like a few anchors. The first one is, I didn't start this relationship with God. And that might hit you and you're like, what? He who began a good work. So the idea is if you said yes to God, God did something. He began that. That's what the Bible teaches. We in and of ourselves, we do not choose him first. 
He, choose, he, he, he is doing something there. He's active in that. He began the work. And then it's another anchor. And what that's communicating them is, if it's present, active enjoyment, that's an anchor that your ongoing relationship with God will be active enjoyment until the end. That's another promise you're getting in that promise. So I won't just arbitrarily be on his team with some card, you know, somewhere where I can show it if the authorities come and ask me. It's like, no, I get to keep enjoying him as I am now. I get to partake with the nachos till the end, you know? That's what he's secured for you. Isn't just that you can't be kicked out. He's secured your ability to enjoy along the way. And yeah, it's such good news for your soul to remember. You can't finish in your own strength what you didn't start in your own strength. So when a sin is just, it's just got you a little bit. You get to hear the warnings of God's word and you get to hear all kinds of things from the word, but you get to hear it with the spirit of anchorhood, like an anchorness. Of like, I'm not gonna, like God's not gonna kick me out. John 10, 27 to 30. No one and nothing can snatch you out of his hand. That's good news. You didn't start it, you ain't gonna finish it. And it don't make you lazy, it makes you anchored. It makes you anchored in a God you're enjoying. But that's not all Paul does. He gives them this great vision. And he says in verse 8, he says, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's like he's saying, I don't love you like Christ loves you. No, no, no. I love you with Christ's love. It's like I'm, I'm sharing in his heart for you. Right? He's like, that's how much I love y'all. So he's like, we've been partnering. I love y'all. We partaking. Pass the grace. You get some grace. You get some grace. Let's go. And then he says, and this is my, and it is my prayer. I just imagine if we were sitting with them, we would just start leaning in a little bit. Your ears would perk up, wouldn't they? What is Paul praying? What is Paul praying? Well, let's take a look. Let's read it, and then let's break it down. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So we're going to walk through this real slowly. But y'all, as we're going through, what I want you to be thinking about is just a simple question. Who am I becoming? And as we break down who Paul is praying you're becoming, be asking yourself, am I becoming that? Am I becoming what he envisions me being at the end? And just a simple evaluation of who you're becoming, where are your thoughts most effortlessly going right now in your life? What thought patterns, what daydreams, when the, when the head hits the pillow, when you're left alone with your thoughts, where are they just more naturally going? That tends to reveal a little bit who we want to become, what we're aiming for. So have that in your mind as we get going. So let's look, at what, let's look at what Paul is praying that will become. If you follow the logic, he's saying, I'm praying that you become loving with knowledge and discernment. We'll talk about that in a second. So that you may approve what is excellent. So it goes a little deeper. We'll talk about that in a second. So be pure and blameless. Filled with fruit and righteousness to the glory and praise of God. I actually want to start with the, and so be pure and blameless. I want to make sure we understand something. What Paul is not doing is praying that they'll be good enough to make it to the day, right? He's not praying that they meet some requirement to make it. 
because he just promised them that they'll make it, right? And God's going to finish in you what he started. If you study these words, pure and blameless, what he's saying is, I want you to be, pure just means unmixed, means all one thing. So like there's just one you. There's not like you have, as James would call it, you're not double-minded. You're not kind of wanting this and kind of wanting that. He's saying, I want you to just through and through be the person I just pray that you would be, which is a love abounding with knowledge and discernment so as to prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless, meaning that's who you are. Like all the way to the core, that's who I want you to be. And blameless just means, man, there's no charge that can be brought up that indicates you're anything other than what I just prayed for. It doesn't mean sinless. That's not what it said, okay? The New Testament is very clear. You will not be sinless in Christ, but who you are is so fundamentally, radically different in Christward and Godward that, yeah, Paul is fine with saying pure and blameless. That's who, that's who you've become in him, not in and of yourself. So he's not giving a test. He's not now warning them on the low, and I'm praying for you that you won't blow it. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. This is an encouraging prayer of who they'll become, and I think he's guaranteeing they will become it and also praying that they'll become it. You know what I mean? So that gives us our, our fuel as we get going here. So let's start with how he started it. He said, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. Somebody say, with knowledge and discernment. So, so we got to get this image. It's not that love is the thing growing and, w- you know, there's like a salt and pepper of knowledge and discernment. You with me? It's the, what's growing is a knowledge and discerning love. Like it's a, it's a, it's all a package of what's multiplying. Are you with me? Love. Y'all, God is the standard of love. First John 4, God is love. That's quite literally what the Bible teaches. What is our standard of love here today? Y'all, in our culture, it ain't God, Okay. <laughs> God is not love, okay? And y'all, some of this gets to how we kind of differentiate. We treat love as its own thing, and we kind of remove the knowledge and discernment. That's kind of what we do. We think it's its own thing. You know what I mean? It's like for the Lord, all these things are pure in how he does all that he does. That's what we see in the ministry of Jesus. So let's talk about knowledge and discernment a little bit, and then we'll come back to that. So for knowledge... What does Paul mean by praying for knowledge? Some of y'all, you know John chapter 1 where, where uh, the Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Another one that Paul prays a lot. You can go to Colossians 1 with me real quick because I want to convince you the type of knowledge that I think Paul is talking about. It's not just arbitrary. It's not uh, all kinds of knowledge. I think it's a particular knowledge he has in mind. So in Colossians 1, he prays a similar but different prayer for them. Okay, we're going to be in verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Sounds very similar. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So when Paul prays that your knowledge would increase, he's praying that your knowledge of God and his will would increase. That's what he's praying for. So how does this shape our our understanding and discernment? Discernment just means ability to to pick, right? To, To choose between things. 
So what we're getting a shaped out view of is a type of love that is so filled with the knowledge of God and his will can discern. Discern between what? Well, the next phrase in Philippians 1 helps us. It says, and so approve what is excellent. Somebody say, approve what is excellent. This is very reminiscent. Some of y'all know Romans 12, 1 and 2, where it just talks about being renewed, your mind being renewed, right? And so that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God. Y'all, here's kind of the idea. Paul is imagining that you become the type of person who green checks what God green checks. You push pause on what good what. God pushes pause on, and you hard stop things God hard stops. Hard greens, pauses, and hard stops are aligned with the will of God. Your character is so shaped by who he is, informed by the knowledge of him. And if I could just be honest with you, I think right now one of the things our culture is communicating to us is you don't need help to be loving. If I'm honest with you, I've just become convinced that our culture thinks it's not hard to be loving. Just don't be a jerk right? And uh, we were talking about this as a, a teaching team this week. It's almost this image of, of the parent who lets the toddler do what they want. It's like, it's not that hard to be loving. Just let them do what they want, right? No no's, you know, unless they're going to do something egregiously wrong, which we would all have to agree on, which is funny, you know? Like, if they wanted to do harm to others, okay, maybe they would green light. We'd all agree on that. But outside of that, let them do what they want. So our culture is like, man, you don't need knowledge of God to be loving. Just don't be a jerk. You see that? So what's getting baked into us is just this be kind sentiment wrapped in a disguise of autonomy, which is communicating it's not that hard to be loving. Just do it. You do you and I'm going to do me and I'm going to protect your right to do you and you protect my right to do me and let's keep rolling. And in that, we see that God can be completely removed from the picture. So we're the toddler in that image, and we're also the parent, you know? We're both in our culture right now. And I would just really push on that and say that is not at all aligned with what Scripture teaches. That often uh, uh, the most loving thing you can do is not give someone what they want, to use the toddler example. We know that's true. The question just becomes who gets to dictate What's best for the toddler? And we should be the ones saying, the God who made us dictates that. It's not our agreement with one another, even in the church community, that dictates that. We should be submitted to God's word. God hard stops us, right? God pushes pause on us, right? Every day he should be doing that to us. So it's not that we are doing something to others that God isn't doing with us. It's that God is the standard. Jesus says something radical in John chapter 15, right after saying, I am the vine, you are the branches. And here Paul taps into it a little bit by saying you'll be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. It's this image that you're like a tree. He's calling Philippi its own tree, this church. And he's saying, y'all going to be oozing with some stuff. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. In that context, he's saying you can't bear fruit apart from me. Here's the problem, y'all. Love is a fruit of the Spirit, not just good intentions and good personality. Y'all, in a real human way, we all know you can be any religion you want and be a kind person. Like, I'm not, man, we all know kind people and loving people to use those words the way we use them. We understand that. We ain't hating on nobody. Like, I'm just saying what Jesus, what the Bible teaches 
is there is a heavenly love, a, a love that Jesus gets on the cross and dies. Like no greater love has anyone this, that someone laid down their life for their friends. That's what Christ did. He sets the standard. He is the standard. We need to look to him and not just to good intentions, not just to everyone green lighting what we do. And some of this gets to, we just don't understand how multifaceted righteousness is. A lot of the time what I think we do is we have a test passing paradigm that all that walking with God is, is answering questions right. So what you'll see a lot is when people come to faith is they'll ask questions like, can you get drunk and be a Christian, you know? <laughs> or maybe that's the one you're wrestling with. And it's like, okay, open the word, it's a hard no. Quiz passed, you know? All right, now let's make it more complicated. What about like, can you smoke weed and be a Christian? Now I got them, you know? Those are not bad. It's kind of a quiz testing paradigm. And I think in a lot of ways, when we're new in the faith, it's helpful to learn convictions and go to the scripture. But y'all, the kind of things that we are to be filled with, that Philippi is filled with, is much more than just what passing a test Christianity will get you. God wants you to do more than pass tests. He wants you to build worlds. He doesn't want you just to have answers. He wants you to bear fruit. The goal isn't knowledge for knowledge's sake. It's knowledge of God that fills you with the kind of love God was filled with. It makes you like Jesus who knew how to be harsh in one moment, kind in another, nice in this one, heal over here, a city is praising him, he leaves it, middle of the night you can't find him, he's praying, he feeds 5,000 with five loaves and two fish, they come to make him king in John chapter 6 and the dude bounces. He just had a, an ability to know what to do, when to do it. He wasn't just out here passing quizzes, you know, they quizzed him and he passed them, but he was building a world here on earth, that's what he was doing. He was building heaven on earth, and we are invited to heavenize earth. We're not invited just to be the ones who speak for the Lord. That's not it. We're not just the ambassador doesn't just mean I have the right to speak. Y'all need to listen. It means watch me work. Work with me. Get some of this nachos. The goal is that Jesus stuff is just oozing out of you everywhere all the time. God's glory through our fruitful living is the Christian's aim. This is what we're aiming for. This is who we want to be. We want to be the tree as a church. We want to be the branch and the vine as a person in Christ. That's the aim of our life. That's why we exist. And it's so good. It's not just to tack on when he says, to the glory and praise of God. Y'all, with a lot of us, our daydreams, what they reveal, if what we wanted came about, who would get the glory from what you are dreaming would come about in your life? A lot of the times our daydreams reveal we're still just seeking our own glory, don't they? If we could just slice open our headspace at 10 p.m. or whenever you go to bed, amen. Um, if we could slice it open, if those things got green-lighted, if we're honest, God wouldn't get a ton more glory. We would. So Paul is envisioning our motives are God's glory. Our knowledge is filled with God's glory, and we're still seeking to love people radically the way God would and becoming this type of person y'all it's it's an all-out war to become this you know this this idea of becoming maybe you're still not with me the way you know this conversationally goes on sometimes when you ask people like a 22 year old what they're trying to do with their life and they're like oh I want to be a dentist and you're like okay I got it you got eight more years of school you know 
It's like you are going to be an intern, then a resident, then this, and then this. And you kind of can see the picture of what the path is to become what they're hoping to become. But once you got your job and you're about 40 and a normal person, you know, people don't, we don't have good becoming language anymore. We're not like, hey, who are you trying to be? We don't, we don't, hey man, what are you trying to be with your life? Dude's like, I'm 58, man. You know, we don't know how to have that conversation outside of our job. You know what I mean? But the Bible is asking you that all day, every day. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? And it's an all-out war all the time to become that, to become this type of tree. And if you could do it in your own strength, Paul wouldn't have to pray that you would become it. God's got to make you become it, but you're going to leave with some to-dos of how to become it. And I just want to tell you, here's the good news. There are some ingredients to become that. It's God's word. It's God's people. It's God's presence. And I think when we hear that, we think staple something to what we're currently doing, and I'll become that thing. The problem with that is it doesn't work in like anything you try to become, right? Like, Regardless of what they tell you, five minutes of Duolingo a day ain't going to make you fluent. No language. <laughs> Amen, somebody. It don't work that way. It's a good sentiment, and I've done it. I've started and stopped and done the level one entry test to like two different languages three different times. Still ain't fluent in them, okay? It's not that that's bad. It's just, it's just the, we're talking that's the bare minimum. You need immersion. You need this. You need friends. You need tutors. You need, you need like 50 things. But then with spiritual stuff, here's what we do. We're like, just add like one, just listen to worship music on the way to work. Read your Bible, read your Bible before you go to bed and you'll become it, the tree. And it's like, I think it's a little more complex than that, you know? So here's the good news. Your life is currently a formation factory. It is forming you into something and somebody. And the good news is you don't have to exit your current life to become who God wants you to become. Do you know that? You don't need my job. You don't need to be a monk. (laughs) You need God, his word, his people, his presence in your current life. Your current life, who you live with or don't live with, is an invitation to become who God has made you to be. The time that you have is, obviously we want more margin. You could, Lord could fit it, all that. But your current Current stuff is where God wants to meet you. Your current life is a formation factory. So I just want to encourage you to be creative with what this looks like in your life. There is no one plan of how to become who God. What are your rhythms? I remember uh, all the time when you get around, like, we all do this. I do this. You do this. You listen to podcasts with people. You kind of, like, hold on that esteem. You're just waiting for them to give you the silver bullet, don't you? Just tell me what you do. I get it's not five minutes a day of Duolingo. So what is it? Do I just need to move to Little Havana down to Miami? What do I need to do to become fluent in Spanish? Just tell me, you know? And we do that with spiritual things. And then ironically, we listen to people with jobs like mine, and we try to staple that and put it into their situation, and then we're just frustrated when I can't, you know what I mean? I remember one time I was listening to a guy I really respected in his 70s, and somebody was like, what does your spiritual rhythms look like right now? And this is what he said. He's smart. He knows what they're asking. They just want like, how many hours are you in it? How many hours of prayer? All good stuff. And he goes, right now I'm practicing the discipline of not having the last word. That's what he said. And I was like, <laughs> give me more, man, you know. 
But I think what he was communicating is all of life is where God's inviting me to become who he has in mind for me. He was saying every time a student talks some trash to me and tries to corner me and get me, I'm thinking about the lamb standing before Pilate being silent, you know, silent he stood accused, letting you think you're right, and that grace will follow you, maybe haunt you, be a pebble in your shoe in a couple of years, and maybe that will humble you. And in that, I'm becoming more like Christ. So I just want to encourage you, yes, you probably need to be in God's word a little bit more. You need more of God's people, but you need to do it in a way that isn't just so like this leads to that. The enemy of becoming in formation mindset is the transactional mindset. If you buy into this leads to that, if I do this, I become that, you won't become it. It doesn't work like that. You think about like an athlete who is trying to go to the Olympic Games. Every meal, how much sleep they get, every conversation, what they will do, what they won't do, what they'll partake in, what they'll leave aside, all of it. They're not like, well, I'm saying no to this meal so that I get a 9 out of 10 instead of an 8 out of 10 in four years. No, it's just like all of it impacts all of it. Transaction is this leads to that. So I'm telling you right now, in your path to become who God has in mind for you, the biggest hindrance to that is going to be transactional. It's the mindset that says what's in it for me. Every time you open God's word, there is a liar whispering saying, what did you even get out of that? There's a transactional lying whisper. And when you can't produce what you think it did, you think, maybe I should just cut it. Why should I go tonight? I have nothing to share at this thing. Why should I go get prayer or go to a corporate thing where I don't feel I have something? And what's happening is, is you're operating on a transactional mindset, not a becoming mindset. And the irony is you're getting further and further from becoming who God has in mind for you. So I would just plead with you in our culture that monetizes everything. Everything you do, you got to be able to make a side business out of somehow. Hey, I'm walking today. 15 people follow me and give me 30 cents each for it, you know. Um, that's kind of the moment that we're in. And what that's just corrupting under the surface is anything that doesn't pay off for you. And I'm very fearful we're going to buy into that if we're not careful. Y'all, this is worth giving your life to. This is worth giving your life to. It is so worth giving your life to. So as you're sitting there at coffee and you're, you're listening to Paul and he's, he's telling you, man, you're going to become this fruit tree in the Lord and y'all are going to be doing things all over your city. I imagine you just being there like, how, wow, and thinking through things you might do. And before you leave, I think he would turn your attention back to Jesus. Y'all, think about our Lord. Think about where he was born in the, in the stable, not in the palace. And think about the next thing we have written about him is at age 12. And he's just quoting scripture so much. Grown men who all they do is read God's word are blown away. They're not blown away because he knows more scripture than them. They're blown away because of just the authority with which he speaks, how to apply it, when to apply it. They're just like, wow, I'm sure there have been some 12-year-old before who made it their thing to know all the verses, you know. It's, the fact, it's just the essence he brought to the table they'd never seen before. Then he submits to his parents and leave. And then the next thing we've got on him on record is age 30. 18 years of obscurity. But he became who we see at age 30. He didn't just go put his feet up, hang out for 18 years, and be like, let me download all my godness now, and I'm that person. Let's get started. No, he became what we saw. He became that. Hebrews tells us he learned obedience through what he suffered. There's a sense in which he was the Son of God and he became the Son of God. It's both. He's the anointed one who walked in the Spirit. So when we look at his life, we see a beautiful life of becoming 
the fruit tree. At every turn, when we're watching him in the Gospels, we're just watching just a, a beautiful display of what God would do, and we're also watching him make every second count and, and living his life with the end in mind. And we can become who we can be in him because he became that, and then at the end of it was crushed, was absolutely crushed. So Port City, who are you becoming today? Who are we becoming? Because make no mistake, every second of every day, every choice we make, we're either getting closer to what Paul has in mind here or further from it. But keep in mind, verse 6, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, thank you so much that you love us. God, thank you uh, for this prayer, for this vision, for these promises for just the reminder that we are becoming somebody. God, we will not get there by accident. We have choices to make, a life to live, decisions to make, all empowered by you, Holy Spirit. May we pray these kind of prayers for one another, Lord. May we pray uh, that we would be those who are abounding in love with knowledge and discernment so as to approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus to the praise of and glory of God. Would that be true of us? Will we pray that over one another? God, I pray it over us now. Lord, be glorified by who we become in you. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.